Uh, they've asked me to uh, kind of kick this thing off this morning, and uh, I, I want to start by uh, reading just a couple of passages of scriptures that I put in, in my notes. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And then again in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This second passage that, uh, that I read from 2 Peter, uh, where Peter talks about pursuing spiritual growth, is, is actually the last recorded communication that we have from the Apostle Peter to the church. When I was a child, and uh, contrary to what these other guys think, I can't remember back that far. Uh, I, I wasn't there when the Dead Sea was just sick. <laughs> Pretty close, but... Not quite. But when I was a child, I, I, I remember the congregation that, that my family were members of uh, were pressed often from the pulpit to have daily times of prayer and Bible reading. And, and I bought into that. I believed that. But I had trouble practicing that. I, I, would, uh, I would find myself being convicted, you know, oh, I, I need to do that. And I would, I would grit my teeth and ah, I'm going to do better. I'm going to start every day reading the word and, and uh, uh, praying and, 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 and I would fail. I, I, I would try. I would, I would work at it and I would fail. Now... With God's help, over the, over the last uh, number of years, I have, uh, I have climbed that mountain and, and have uh, a daily, daily discipline. And, and that's, that's what it is. I have a daily discipline of uh, Bible reading and prayer. And uh, it started many years ago at this point. I'm old enough to say that, too, many years ago at this point. But... My question is this, you and I both believe that a true relationship with the Lord is not just a Sunday or a Sunday-Wednesday encounter. So my question is, what do you do to cultivate this growth in grace on a daily basis? Well, that's personal, isn't it, Martin? It is. <laughs> How many of you will say that you've had some of the same experience Brother Martin has. You have good intentions, and you start to do that, and you know that Satan's quite an enemy of that. And maybe you've had to, had to go through like him saying, God, help me do that and feel guilty and all that. So I, I think that's a good common ground. Uh, this is everyday practical things. I followed that pattern. Uh, one of the things that changed major in my life was just, in a sense, from being a Christian and before I went into ministry, being employed <clears throat> and 
having to get up early in the morning and work all day, and I understand all those things that, about a devotion. Uh, when, I, when I got in the ministry, all of a sudden I found myself in kind of a, a, double, a double need of that because I, I need that daily devotion. I need that time with the Lord for myself, but then I'm also constantly... I will just tell you from the time I walk off the pulpit on, say, any given Sunday morning, my mind immediately goes, what am I going to do next week? What am I going to say next week, Lord? And in a sense, I've been with the church today and I've ministered this message. Now what do I do next week? And to try to, if, there, if the Spirit of God has continuity for, for the next message, I don't just want to just aim at nothing and hit nothing. And, but... I found myself in need of searching constantly for what I say to the people, but I, I found myself also thinking of that and thinking of that in a sense of a job and a, and a requirement and a, a, a duty, and I, I began to see myself neglected with, with, with my own devotion, and that can happen easily. One of the things that's, that's found in common, uh, sad to say, that when our ministers are overtaken in a moral fault, one of the common denominators that all of them is the fact that they, a minister, ladies and gentlemen, did not have his private devotions right. every day. Right. He neglected in the presence of God and that intaking of the word. Maybe not the preaching responsibility, feeding the sheep, so to speak, but with his own soul. And Jesus gave us a pattern, Brother Martin. If you, one of the things that I realize, I've said it so many times, I realize real quickly in the ministry, if I don't take in, I don't have anything to give That's out. Right. I mean, it has to be done. And I've been an avid book reader. And I, but, but let me get to the, I guess, the pertinent part of that. I, I, I realize that sometimes my, my world is interrupted quickly a lot of times. And and my time, if I set a particular time when I do this and do that, it's just as sure as I set that time, Satan will see that something happens in that time. And I think you all know that kind of attack. What, what, I, what I do is I get a verse of Scripture, and I, I get it in the evening or I get it in the morning. And sometimes what I do, I try to practice what Paul said. I try to pray all the time. I try to pray while I'm driving. I try to have a conversation with God. Everything I do, every thought I have, I try to use that as a prayer time. That helps. But rather than reading five scriptures a day or four or ten, I take one or two that I just feel like the Lord has spoken to me, and I put that in my mind, and I try to talk to the Lord about that day in and day out. Sometimes I'll take one verse of Scripture or, if you will, three or four that form a paragraph or a thought, and I dwell on that all the time, asking the Lord, well, what did you mean here? And, Father, this, and I've had the Spirit of God speak to me about words in those verses in Scripture. How many, just out of curiosity, you've heard me preach and you've heard me say something along this line, we read over it and we don't get it sometimes? Yeah. How many of you yeah. have heard me say that? Yeah. I think most of you probably have. So let me encourage you in the fact that I, I feel responsible to do more than just read Scripture or even do what's obvious. I feel extremely responsible, not only in feeding you, but to feed myself. Yes. And I don't think we could live 10 lifetimes and even possibly exhaust the Word of the Lord. But I, I take that Word and, and I... I I feed on it, and I feed on it, and I feed on it, and it's frustrating sometimes because I ask your forgiveness. If you've ever 
caught me in one of those times when staff and my wife especially, I'm, I'm pretty much a one-thought guy. I get so entranced in that sometimes, I don't even know that you're talking to me. <laughs> I, I, get in, I get involved in that sometimes, and I, I'm just totally, everything else is blanked out. And as I get older, can I just tell you something? I drive down the road, I'm thinking about that verse, I'm thinking about a word, and I'm trying to ascertain that, and I drive right by where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at least I have an ability to concentrate. <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the best things that I've ever learned to do was take that word and spend one, two, or three days, if it's a scripture, and let the Spirit of God speak that to me and let it, let it really take birth and, and put a fire in me so that I have that to give out. That's my personal way. I, don't, I, I do not spend 15 minutes at 6 to 6.15 every morning reading. Uh, I don't spend an hour in prayer every day in sense of the clock and that. I get up and I, I get this verse in my mind. I start talking to the Lord from day up till sun up till sundown, and I try to keep that in mind. And... Uh, I, I have to actually be interrupted every once in a while by these guys. There's not a guy on this pulpit that hadn't asked me a question that sometime hadn't had, hadn't had to ask me that question two or three times. Isn't that right, guys? <laughs> I just, I get caught in that thought, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I love that. I like that dimension where it's just me and the Lord talking. And I, I love that so much that, frankly, I blink a lot of things out. My wife, uh, my wife needs a, a trophy uh, for asking me things two and three and four times to get my attention. That's what I do. Well, that don't, was easy. Don't you also read a proverb every day? If I, I do read a proverb every day. There's 31 proverbs, and I started years ago reading a chapter every day for 31 days if the month has it. Uh, but I've got to where I, I, I can't. One of the things you'll learn about the book of Proverbs, it's not written in any kind of, there's only verses at a time that's about one subject, and it bounces sometimes from two verses to another subject in two verses. And I have a commentary that, that's 500 pages just on Proverbs, and it goes all the way through the 31 chapters of Proverbs and takes those subject matters and brings them into kind of a synopsis and then all the subjects, and I, I've loved to do that. You can't just read, most of the time, one chapter of Proverbs, and it's not one subject. It's four or five or six. If you know that, you've been there, you know that. So what I do is I get to where I take two or three of those verses that are, that's what I'm talking about, dwell on that. I... I believe that the book of Proverbs is wisdom, and I think if I've told myself if I'm going to have any wisdom, I better spend some time in that wisdom book, and that's what I try to do. I'm up. <laughs> Sounded ominous, John. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, um, it has been such an amazing time being able to sit down with young people and adults alike and, and just talk to them and counsel with them. And I run into um, one or two or even three uh, different questions over and over and over again. So I'm going to hit you with one of the questions I always get hit with. And uh, I need some clarity here. This could this. be fun. Yeah, here, buckle up. Buddy. Teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says this. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Lest you should. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I believe that most of the time. I mean, I, I do believe it. Most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. See, here, here's the problem, Pastor, is that when you're sitting down with somebody or you're just sitting by yourself, and everybody, I think, probably knows this, you just kind of start thinking, well, God is so wonderful. He's so full of grace and mercy, and he forgives me for, for the things I've done wrong. And then you start thinking, well, I'm, I'm a little worse than, than all that. Uh, if, if everybody here really knew me, really, really knew me, and you start thinking, maybe God wouldn't forgive you. <laughs> and, and that's what a lot of times I, I deal with in, with students, with young people. It's if God really knew what I was going through, if God really knew what I had done or how I felt or, or what I thought, he probably wouldn't forgive me. And pastor, the Bible says God would give grace. And the, the, the Bible says it's, it's through grace we've been saved, not by what we've done. Help me understand that. Help me understand the grace of God. Well, well. Boom. <laughs> 41 years in the ministry, you have that much time? Um, good question. Um, I'm probably going to maybe stir a little theological thinking anyway. First of all, let me say emphatically, God does know everything you've done, and he knows every thought you've yes. had, and he still chooses to forgive yes. you. Amen. It isn't about does he or does he not. Yeah. Uh, he knows. The scripture says that, let's understand that God is omnipotent, meaning he's all power. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, but he's also omniscient. And the scripture says that God even knows the thoughts and the intent of our heart. Right. Every thought you ever had, God knows it. But I want to be clear and tell you this. Satan is not omniscient and he doesn't know all the thoughts. And let me just say that one of the reasons that I, I like being Pentecostal, if you're here not Pentecostal, I don't think we should make a whole a whole doctrine out of just nine spiritual gifts. But I want to tell you one of the, I think the greatest things that a Pentecostal spirit feel, can I say prayer, language, tongue, talking Christian has, that is an advantage over everyone who is not baptized, and that's the ability to speak and pray. Paul called it in the tongues of men and of angels. And it's not understood. Maybe you don't comprehend it in your mind, but the scripture says in Romans, when I don't know how to pray, the spirit takes over and prays for me because he knows the minds of the Father. Sometimes we talk in English and pray and ask God to do things and we pray right into Satan and he goes, oh, now I know what you're thinking, so I'm gonna set this up. Thank God for the ability to pray in the tongues of angels where the spirit knows and the Satan doesn't know, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's a tremendous advantage. Sorry, John, that's a track on the road, but I, I love praying in the Spirit of the Lord because I know that Satan doesn't know what I'm praying. He is not omniscient, and, and I thank God for that. When you're teenagers, all kind of questions come, especially even if you're raised in church. I'll never forget, I, I went through that, John, and, and, and let, let's just face it, every one of us have things that we've done and the scripture talks about each one of us has what is called a besetting sin. Satan develops habits in us, and there are things that we, we do 
thoughts we have and those sort of things, Satan will try to torment us with those thoughts. So what we do, we bring that to the Lord and we ask God to forgive us. And then we turn right around and let's just face it. You, you may say, oh, not me, Pastor. Well, then we'll find another one. But we, we commit a sin, ask forgiveness for it, and commit it again. We ask the Lord to forgive us for it, and we commit it again. And I'm, prob- I'm speaking to everybody here because the Scripture says we all have a, what's called a besetting sin. And it's a difficult thing. Here's what one person told me years ago. If Satan ever finds out that thing works in your life, he'll keep playing that record as long as you'll allow it. But here's the thing. I, as a young man, I went through a time where I, I just, I, I wanted so much attention, to be honest with you, and so insecure. Every time I'd turn around, I'd exaggerate everything I ever did, everything I ever said, because I was craving that attention. I, I, I don't know why. I, don't, I can't maybe explain all that. I will just tell you that I had difficulty telling the truth. Whoever that was, I thank you. You know, misery does love company. And how many times did I go to every revival, every night, and get saved over and over and over? I must be saved 5,000 times. Oh, maybe more. But, But I want to tell you something. The grace of God, and oh, I could talk about the grace of God forever. We... I don't think we totally understand it. We're not in this lifetime where we have. I just want to say this. I believe, I'm just going to throw something out and let you study it for yourself. About grace, I want to say this. I believe there may be a grace for the sinner that never been twice born. There is a grace. And it means that you can always, without question, approach the Father. There is no sin There is no sin that he will not cover. Well, what about that of blasphemy? That's made, I believe, in a different way, but that's on purpose. I'm talking about sins that you commit. God said, you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. I want you to know there is that favor. Don't let Satan tell you you can't come. You've done this too many times. You're not doomed. You come with repentance and godly sorrow. God's mercy will flow through your life. But that doesn't mean you get up and turn around and do that again. The, the, look at the lady that came. I'm, I'm preaching now. Aren't I? I, look at the lady that was brought in sin. Jesus didn't deny it. He said to her something that's important, though. And this is what I think the message should be in this late hour. We do despite to the grace of God. He said to her, where are your condemners? And she said, sir, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn you. In other words, I forgive you. But you go and don't you do that anymore. Because there's a difference in regret and repentance. Regret means you're sorry you got caught. Repentance means you do an about face, having repented and received the mercy of God, and you walk away from that. But pastor, you just got through saying you went back and forth, and there's where the grace of God for the sinning Christian, I believe, is a different thing. I'm just telling you what I think. A grace for an unbeliever and the grace for a sinning Christian. Is it the same grace from God? Yes, I think it functions in a different way. And now all you theologians can be thoroughly confused. (laughs) Just want you to know, just want you to know that if you repent, it's not based on regret, but if you're sorry for the sin and there's a conviction, repent. Let me tell you this. As long as you have a heart for God and go to him and say, God, I want you in my life, God said, I'll be in your life. 
Don't you ever question the fact that God won't forgive you. God will forgive you. Boy, there ought to be a peace in our hearts for that. I struggled as a teenager. I know all about that. And I declare to you, God will forgive you. Don't put your sin above his grace. Amen. Amen. John, is that good? Good. Wow. Was that good? Who's up? Me. Okay, Dave. <laughs> well, I love our pastor, don't you? I do. He, he, he said a while ago, he said, now I'm preaching. I don't know when he doesn't open his mouth. He's not preaching. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. This, this remodel that we've been doing back here, I've been spending a lot of time with that and working some long days and hard hours and trying to get it done. And we were trying to get it done in three weeks. Well, we're in week four, and it's still kind of lingering around. You know how those projects are. And then this week, we started uh, the ceiling of the parking lot, and I had to manufacture some gates for, for the parking lot. If you came by, you saw those orange gates. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just bear with me. And so I, I manufactured those gates and put those up, and... Uh, I put them into place and made sure that people weren't able to get on the parking lot because we had to, to reseal it. And so as, as I was doing that, I, I tried to do it as best I could, so I, I made some really good gates. Let me just tell you, I'm a good gate maker. <laughs> and it took time to do that and make them right. And so this, uh, this past week on, on Wednesday night, we had to open up the parking lot so we could have Wednesday night service. And while we were having service, I saw some cars come in on the parking lot that aren't part of our, our service. As usual, you've drove by, driven by here and there's constantly just cars parked in the parking lot. Well, after service got over, it was about 9.30 at night and I walked out to the parking lot and kind of assessed what kind of cars. All of us that had attended church service that night, we're all gone except for a few people and uh, I walked out there and there were four cars that had people in it and two cars that that didn't have anybody in it. So I went over to each car that had some people in it, and let's just say they weren't part of our normal crowd and doing what we normally do here. And I talked to them and asked them to leave, and they were kind of disgruntled, but they, they eventually they all, they all left. And then I went over to the two other two cars and uh, assessed that you know it didn't look like they were gonna come back anytime soon. Sometimes people leave notes on the car and they tell us, hey, I'll be back you know, a certain time, or they'll call the office. So I didn't know what to do for that case, so I went back inside and I created a little map, drew a little line on it. This is how you get out of our parking lot because the gates are going to be up. So I went back outside, I put the, the paper on the car, and as I was going up to the second car, another car pulls into the, to the outside, outside of the gate, and he pulls up, and then this lady gets out and she starts screaming and yelling at me. I smiled. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of waved at her, and she waved back, and she said, I need to get that car. And I said, you'll have to walk in here because I'm a good gate maker. <laughs> I'm not going to go tear down my gate. And she said another few choice words to me, and she was not happy with me at all. And um, she asked, what kind of church is this? And I told her, in the Assemblies of God Church. <laughs> I was trying to be very, you know, how I should be as a pastor, and 
But one of the things she said, she said, the man that owns that car, he's, he had a really bad day. He had to pull off the side of the road and have, having chest pains and the paramedics came and she kind of shared that with me and I said, ma'am, if he'll just come over and get the car and move the car. I'm all about moving the car because I'm wanting to go home. <clears throat> well, the next day, I know this is long, the next day, um, I'm sitting in my office and John and I have offices that are right next to each other and we can hear our conversation sometimes when we're on the phone. Well, he picked up the phone, somebody had called the church, he picked up the phone and I could hear the conversation. I knew exactly what the conversation was about. If you look up the word schmoozer in the dictionary, this guy is the schmoozer of all people. <laughs> so he's over there. I mean, he has landed on with these people just as great as he can be. Yes, I don't hear their side of the conversation. What can we do for you today? Yes. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> don't turn it on. <laughs> I got to say something here. So I... I, I listened to it, and then he gets done, and I said, hey, John, I would love to hear the other side of that conversation. <laughs> he comes over and tells me, you know, the guy had a really bad day. He was having chest pains. I was like, yeah, and sh they didn't like the way that you told them that they had to go around and all of that. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. And then John went back in his office, and I began to think about that. You ever had or done something and you wished you hadn't done? Well, I was, I was there. I was sitting in that moment right there, realizing, you know what? I wasn't who I was supposed to be. Christ died for each one of you. Hanging on that cross, he realized that he was dying for individuals. Not for humanity as a whole, but individuals. Scripture tells us that he knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows us as individuals. Colossians, pull that scripture up. It says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer. Who? Each one. I realized right at that moment that the person that was across from me of that gate was an individual. I realized too late. So my question, Pastor... Go ahead, bring it up. How do I remember to show grace to others on a daily basis? How many of you know the word being what it means to be conscientious? You know what that word means? That's a pretty good word. How many of you believe that the Christian should be the best employee on the job? I think they ought to be prompt to, on time, the most dedicated, the most productive person employed. To do so, if you'll do so, God said he'd promote you. It isn't your boss or anybody else that promotes you, actually. It's you're promoted by the Lord. I think sometimes with also not only the word conscientious, but can I say the word conviction, uh, meaning that when we step out of line, the Holy Spirit will arrest us. I call him the sheriff of heaven. We start to disobey, and he'll try to, he'll convict us. And, but we get so, I think we get so duty-bound, and we get so, 
conscientious and about what we have to do, and we get in that frame of mind, and and I'm going to jump ahead of where I kind of wanted to go. I wish I had wish I had this question last. we, we get that in our minds, and we get this an assignment, well, I've got to go from here to here, and that's where we get our thoughts. It's kind of like me a while ago. I was saying I tuned some things out. It's good to be conscientious. It's good to be the best employee on the place, but we get involved in that, and we get into our own world, our own thinking, our own concept, our own duty, and our time and our schedule. And one of the things I think Satan really comes at is when we're in that thought pattern and we're in that mind, suddenly an interruption happens or someone throws in a question or somebody drives up and we're not even, we don't put ourselves there. We're in our world and we respond out of our world. We respond out of what we're thinking, where our mind is, where we are, and Instantly, we forget that they're in a different world than us. They're not thinking what we're thinking. Their whole world is in a different... So you have two paradigms coming suddenly, and they, they meet. And here, here's, here's one of the messages I want to give. To I thought about if, if we're going to do about grace which is what I originally wanted to do, and they were afraid to answer the questions on grace. I just <laughs> Here's one of the thoughts that I want to say about grace. It, let me go back to a poll. How many of you in the years that you've been here heard me say something about like this? When you come into this sanctuary, you never know what's going on in a life that is seated beside you or behind you. How many have heard me say that? Behind you, in front of you, beside you, have no idea. But when we come into this place, it should be a place where I, I sense there are, there's not a day we don't come in here, but what Satan hadn't attacked, probably everyone, but there's a stronghold sometimes in every life. And we don't see that. We don't know what that is. We don't know what people are dealing with. And we Americans are pretty good at veneers and facades and putting on and play acting. Yeah. We, we get really good at it. We watch Hollywood and we get wounded enough. We can back up in ourselves and keep that veneer out there. And then we, we, we can show that. Suddenly, two paradigms or two people come and there's this, this change of thought. And so I'm going to pick on Dave. Here he is. He's being dutiful. And thank God for it. He put the barriers up. He didn't have to. He's trying to get the parking lot out. I will just tell you, he went to the trouble Wednesday night to go in really nice and print a colored sheet that says, we are resurfacing our, our parking lot. Please remove your vehicle. And he put a smile on it and said, you're on candid camera. <laughs> and he taped it to their windows, trying to be courteous and nice, saying, please don't park on here. We need it to be clarified. And you, you know, so you know what? You can get righteous in that. Well, I did all this. How many of you justify yourself? Yeah. Well, every one of us do. Every one of us do. If everybody would think like I think and do what I do, and if they had in mind what I have in mind, we'd never have a problem. Isn't that right? <laughs> you 
You know, I've heard this. I started to use my, I will, I'll use my name. There's the wrong way and then there's the Brooks way. We're going to sit there a minute. We're going to sit there a minute. Let's think about that. So let me, let me just so, so I don't leave everybody out. There's your way and then there's my way. And when you're not thinking what I'm thinking, though you should be thinking what I'm thinking, then when I say what I'm thinking and it doesn't mesh with what you're thinking, suddenly in this conscientiousness and in this thought pattern, all of a sudden we got two paradigms that clash. Or we got this, we have this, this totally uncomfortable thing. And let me tell you where it happens more often than any place else. That's in the house. Yeah. It's in the marriage and it's in the kids and it's on the job. And it happens because we get in our bubble and don't think about the person that's approaching and drives up. Dave is a military guy. So I'm going to hit you, Dave. Here's where it happens. Right between the eyes. Your name's Goliath. He's busy. He's trying to get this done. He's conscientious. He wants all this done. He's working for the kingdom. He's working for us. He puts in all these other hours. He does duty that nobody assigns him. And don't you know that somebody doing that and sacrifice for the kingdom of God after hours up here at 1030 at night and at 6 o'clock in the morning to get this parking lot done when nobody says a word and he's doing that, nobody asks him to. And suddenly, don't you think that when a lady comes up and all of a sudden, I want in, I want in there? And he goes, well, you need to move your car. Here's where I think grace comes in. I need to understand that every person I talk to, every time I talk to someone, they're in their world. And before you start those do this and commands and that sort of thing, you need to figure out what world they're coming from. Uh, let me bring this home really easy because most of you may know that I didn't marry a pushover. <laughs> Not many of us did. Not many of us married pushovers. And uh, I'm in my world and she's in her world. But let me tell you something that happens too. I'm, I'm taking too much time. I, I when those worlds, those worlds clash and Satan's going to see to it. Satan's going to see to it. And those, when those worlds clash, what happens, let me just tell you this. With those we're most familiar with, we don't say this, but in our, in our subconscious mind, we expect those closest to around us, we expect them to just take what we put out sometime. And we can actually abuse our relationships. Got quiet right there. We can actually abuse our relationships. I just say things sometime or do something sometime, and I expect my wife and my kids, maybe my grandkids, just to understand it. And how many of you know that sometimes they don't? 
And how many of you expect everybody to kind of give you, uh, how many would love to have everybody else give you the benefit of the doubt? Everybody would like to have the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know what? What you sow, you reap. If you learn to give others the benefit of the doubt, then maybe you'll have that come back. You cast your bread on the waters, it comes back. I'm not good at it. I get interrupted. It frustrates me. I have my mindset. I have my ways. I have my prejudices. I have all those things. And sometimes somebody punches a hole in my world. But I, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we need to ask the Lord to always, anytime we have a situation like that, God, give me grace. There, I could get these words. I probably should pull them up. Uh, this this word charis uh, in the in the in the Greek is the New Testament word for grace. And I can't remember the the other one. There's two words. I have it written down. I won't take time to look, but it's talking about there's the noun grace, but then there's that personality that displaying the adjective, if you will, of grace. And some of some people were called gracious. That's the, that's the adjective of it. They handle things gracefully. That's the adverb of it. But the noun is the grace. And we need to... We, we don't communicate well sometimes. What did that lady say to you? She, she said a lot. <laughs> when she came up, what you asked her said, would you please move it? What? She just kept telling me that that the friend had been in the hospital. Okay, and was the gate up? Yes, sir. Why were you making her walk around? Because I didn't want to take the gate back down. Because what? Because I didn't want to take the gate down. How's she going to get the car out? She's going to drive around the building. Oh, you're going to make her drive all the way around the yes, building? Sir. <laughs> it's 10.30 at night. I've been here since <laughs> 9.30 this morning. <laughs> Conscientious. Just walk a few feet over here and drive around the building like I tell you and everything's cool. <laughs> Get in my world. <laughs> it's your world. <laughs> How much better off would you been, ma'am? I have put this thing up and down, up and down. Would you please just drive your car over here? And I'd ask you to drive around so I don't have to tear this down. That would have probably, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you did that. I don't know. I'm just telling you that everybody's, everybody's under pressure. Kindness is graciousness. Understanding is graciousness. Why don't we decide we're going to give each one of us a benefit of the doubt? If I, if I don't expect you to be perfect, then I'm not disappointed when you're not. But, but when I have a need, I'd like for you to consider. When I say something that's abrupt, can, please give me the benefit of the doubt. When I've done something that I'm dealing with, give me the benefit of the doubt. Paul said to the church of all places, not the world, we don't expect that of the world, but he said, in honor, prefer one another. Yes. And here's the other thing I want to say, and I'll, I'll stop. No matter what someone has done or not done, there's the sin of omission and commission. To you, situation, always up front, Forgive them that second. Yeah. Already forgiveness. Already forgiveness. Already forgiveness. 
two things happen with that. First of all, I don't internalize it. Satan doesn't torment me with it. I don't wrestle with it. I don't have that, that poison in me. I don't have that bitterness. I have the peace of God empowering my life. And I pray for the person if I even know it. David said, forgive me for my secret sins. He wasn't talking about sins he did necessarily in secret, trying to hide it from everybody. He was saying, Lord, if I've caused someone else to fail, if I've committed a sin and caused a brother or sister to fall that I don't know about, God, forgive me for that. I think that's a good prayer to pray. I just want to tell you something. You mistreat me. You, you hurt my feelings, etc. I'm going to, I've already told the Lord, here's how I'm going to handle all those offenses. I'm going to forgive you. That's what God did for us. Amen. That's what God did for us. And so that's why I say if you ever have a problem with me, approach me because I'm going to be approachable. I'm going to tell you why. It hurts sometimes and all that, but I've already dealt with it. I'm going to, I'm going to live my life with that kind of grace. That's how I think God is. Okay, Dave. Got it? Sorry, Henry. May have to two minutes. Get yours. Okay. Shorter. <laughs> if you didn't realize or don't realize, Pastor has not heard these questions. He's getting them for the first time from us, so he's he's speaking off of experience and he's speaking from his heart. So, uh, Mike, if you haven't also noticed, our theme is grace, and mine is grace as it applies to parenting. Uh, Proverbs twenty two six, and I'm going to read from the Amplified version. I don't know if that's what that is, but train up a child in the way he should go teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. My question is, is some of us have children that are growing up way too fast, I'll add. As they approach adulthood, we give them more freedom to make their own choices. In that, they undoubtedly will make some mistakes. You've gone through this with both of your boys can you share an example of how we can show grace in this season of our lives? You're welcome. <laughs> Wish I'd have heard that question 45 years ago. Our old world, a generation ago, were pretty straightforward. I believe in it, but how many of you know that sometimes we can carry principle or ideas too far? Yeah. Let me go back and tell you how it was in the 20s, at least that I know through my grandparents and all that. I think it came from a right root. The man was head of the house. I think it came from the scripture, especially like Ephesians in marriage, where God said to the man, I make you responsible for this household spiritually. God set a man up to be the spiritual covering of his house and to, to, to ascertain God and to, to say to his wife and to his children, I, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Here's seek God and seek his way. But we took that as a man going to be head of his house. That means he's going to be the dictator and nobody else has any place to say anything. Well, that got quiet. Nobody said amen, so I guess. Uh, just because you're the man of the house doesn't mean you get to dictate. That's right. 
you, you, you have, actually you have a much greater responsibility. It does mean you should be respected, but you have to earn that respect. Position is position, but position's not always right. And so, I, I'm going to preach this message again. I preached it 35 years ago. Out of Colossians, I'll let you try to hunt the scripture. I could quote it to you, but I won't. I'm going to preach this message. I'll just make that decision. I, I preached a message years ago entitled, You Keep It Like You Got It. How did you start serving God? Then that's how you keep it. What I mean by that is you served Him, you came to Him in humility and you humbled yourself and you repented and you knelt before the Lord and you began to serve God that way. Then life gets complicated. We go, you know how to serve God? You keep that relationship just like you got it. You know, you know how to, oh man, I've just back my, painted myself in the corner, honey. You know how you keep that relationship just like you got it? But back to what I was saying, we, take, we just take for granted and sometimes familiarity breeds contempt and we don't treat our mates near like we did when we were young in love. I just hit every one of us right between the eyes. You ever hurt your mate? Yes. I wanted to be like my grandpa, I wanted to be like my dad, and they believed in a belt, and so do I. I still believe in a belt. But when I say that, I don't believe in child brutality. Right. I don't believe in abuse of any kind. Right. But I think sometime, I, I, here's what I really believe. I believe as a parent, you're supposed to build a guard around a child. I, suppose, I, I want you to know a child and young people want to know the perimeters. Here's this side, here's this side, here's this side, and here's this side. If you want to make a circle, good. No side, just don't get out of this line because I'm trying to build a, 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 a security around you because in life there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong. One of the mixed messages I think I got as a young man was, I'm the boss, don't question it, because here's my dad. My dad would say it, that was it. He meant it, you cross it. He'd just, he, he'd say, son, don't do that. If I did that, he'd say, I told you. I told you, and I'd get a busting. I still think that's good. Well, I didn't get any support there, but I think that's good. I think you ought to, but you got to think that word carefully. Yeah. You got to think that word carefully. You don't just arbitrarily draw things around what you, your whims, and especially out of selfishness. God pity the young people that's raised out of a selfish parent Man. who all they can think about themselves. I will say this. I believe that everything I did as a parent, I did it out of a right desire. I did it out of a right heart. Here's what I did, though. I had that intention, frankly, so ingrained in me that I wanted to teach my sons right and wrong. I wanted to give them perimeters. I wanted to give them a tremendous area by which they could be men. 
I wanted to teach them that life will beat you up and you get up and you go on and all the good things. And parents have good intentions with that. And this is what I believe very extremely. The first five or six years, parents, you ought to be in church every time the doors are open. You, you ought to teach them about God. You, you should build your house around the house of God. You should not be absent in church because this is the only chance we have. The schools are against us. The world's against us. Satan's against us. Politics are against us. Laws are even against us. The only place we really have is our home in this church. And most of the time now you can't even get the home in the church to agree. Young people, you might can make, find a mate somewhere that, that will love you like you want to be loved and like you should be loved. And more than what your parents want to love you, the best chance you have to do that's in church. It isn't in this world. And it's, it's not in a bar and it's not out in joints. It's not in the clubs of this world. Best chance you have is find somebody of like precious faith. But you don't have any guarantees. That's one of the best guarantees. And so where better to raise our kids my problem was that I understood it. I've always had the regret that I tried to raise my boys right the first 10 years of their life. And parents, Henry, your answer is this. If you look at that scripture, it says, train a child in the way he should go. I always didn't like, kind of didn't like the word train that they, that they, that they used in the English translation because I, I heard a man say one time, you, you teach and you lead people, you, you train animals. <laughs> Okay, but you set the right example too. Right. Yeah. Parents, life and lip match. Yeah. Say amen, parents. Yeah. Yeah. Life and lip match, or you're, 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 you're sowing into your child something that you're going to reap and wonder where you go wrong. You don't say, do as I say. They're going to do as you do. That's right. Wow. Here's... But take that first 10 years. And you can get by with making demands, which you should, in their young years. But eventually, can I frankly tell you, when the years come and the hormones start kicking in and the mindset starts changing and then the, all of a sudden your kids are looking ex outside the home instead of inside the home and the influences are all mesmerizing their minds. Let me tell you, the, the, the message out of Hollywood is destroying our 12-year-old, our 13-year-old minds, 14, 15-year, our value system and our morals in this country in the sewer, and they are against our children. Yes. And this, let me just say, this filthy, darkened, out of the pit of hell concept that you can choose your gender is out of Satan himself. God chose your gender even before the foundations of the earth and you may change it physically, but he's not changing it. How pathetic, how pathetic, how pathetic. Our messengers are getting all messed up. Let me get back to the issue. After they turn 13, 12, 13, I think one of the greatest things you do is you don't start, you don't just keep telling them and laying a lash. Now you say, Lord, I have taught and I have taught and I have taught. Here's what you teach. You find out the will of God for that child. If you were, put, put those two scriptures back up if you can, Lisa, to help me. It says train a child the way he should go. But look, look, at, look at what it says, at teaching them to seek God's wisdom and will for their abilities and their talents. 
God puts a call and a purpose in every soul and spirit and body. Parents, it is your job to find out what God wants to do in that boy and in that girl and help them know that and help them get there. And when they get that, even though Satan may get them on a trek somewhere, God will bring them back to the purpose that he had when he put put them there. That's your job. Don't do it selfishly. That's your job. All of us who have been at it, we've, we've dealt with things. We've dealt with what Satan can fold out on our children. I want to tell you this. Here's what I did wrong. I had the right principles. had the right concept. I had the right heart. I, I, between the Lord and myself, I've, I know that's true. Let me tell you what I did, though. If I have any major regret in my life, It is this. I say a thousand times I'm the most blessed man I know. I have two men that I've raised, and they are men. You don't believe it, push on them. (laughs) Push on them. (laughs) My two two boys love the Lord. They're in church. They're serving God. There's a lot of ministers who don't have that. They can't say. Every, everybody makes their own choice. I want to tell you something, young people. You are the most important thing in this world to your parents. Yes, they are not against you. They are for you. They would lay their life down for you in a heartbeat. So during the tough years, don't ever forget that love trumps everything. Yeah. Everything. And you're just going to get all these ideas, but you, you, start, you start asking questions. I, I talked to a a big, powerful highway patrolman about it, about last fall. He, he's, he, he's a powerful guy, big guy, strong guy, and principal, loves God in church. But he had a 16-year-old boy. He wanted to go on a trip, and he wanted to go take dad's truck with two or three others. And he goes, they get up there, there's no telling what they're going to do, they, all this sort of thing. You just, you just have those issues sometimes with he just got his driver's license, all that, and oh my goodness, there was turmoil in the house, and mom tried to be the, the mediator, and this is pretty common. Let's tell you this quick story. And boy, it got, got in big trouble. And so this trooper happened to approach me. He said, hey, you're a preacher, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. He said, I got this situation. And I said, uh, you're, he's 16, you just told him, no, you're not going to do that. And he didn't like it, so he ran to mom. And mom's a lot more tender. Mom, mom said, but the problem is now he can start working mom against dad yeah. if you're not careful. Not Teenagers don't do that. Mom and dad, don't you let that happen. Right. But he said, you tell me what to do. And I said, you have a badge. You have the commission. And let me tell you something, you get paid to win. And that's true. But I want to tell you, you got a 16-year-old son. Instead of telling him no, I would have said this. Do you have any idea why I don't want you to do that? No. Tell him to reason and tell you. Ask him, why do you not want me to do that? Why would you not want me to do it? I said, no, you answer it. Let's go 25 years down the road and you answer it, 16-year-old. Why would a dad say, I don't want you to do that? Is it because he don't want you to have fun? Is it not because he don't love you, et cetera? Absolutely not. 
He don't know the company. He don't know what's going to happen. He don't know that these issues never happened before. Dad's having a problem here because suddenly he, he's not going to be the one who can watch this and see that it turns out right. Pastor, do you ever trust your kids? Absolutely. But you teach them to think not only to it but through it. What's going to happen? This, the, all, he, all this boy's looking at is right here. He's going, we're going to go down here and have fun. And I will tell you this. Dad knew that one of the other kids that was going was 18, and he had a big drug problem and an alcohol problem. So wonder why Dad wouldn't want to send his with that. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to ask him that. To give them those. Let them start reasoning. Let them think it out. Let them think it out. If that was your son, would you do that? And I'm sorry to take all that time. Here's where, here's where my problem was. My problem was that when my boys were 7 or 8 or 9 or 10, I put them in a 12 and a 15, 18-year-old bracket. Yeah. And parents, don't let Satan take what you mean for good and make it evil. I can't tell you how many times I've faced my boys and gotten their face and telling them, you're going to do this, you're not going to do this, I'll bust you. And they're eight years old, and I've talked to them like they're 18. Well, Pastor, they turned out all right. Only by the grace of God and only by their choice Parents, those children are God's children. I have asked both my boys to forgive me for that. My problem is every time it comes up, I relive that and it just absolutely destroys me inside. Because I want to tell you something, God never required of me more than that which I was able. Sorry we've taken so long. I was going to get us out of here about 11.15. Henry, thank you for the question. I want to tell you, I still believe an altar in the living room with a family is one of the greatest answers to everything we have. I don't think you get too big to kneel down at the living room in front of the couch with a family and have a family prayer. It doesn't have to last an hour, five minutes, but I'd teach my children to pray. Teach your children to pray. Teach them to have a family altar. Let me tell you something. God can come in that little family sanctuary just like he can come in this sanctuary. And I think that's important. I'm a fortunate man that my two sons have chosen to love the Lord and marry two girls that love the Lord. I got three grandkids that love the Lord. I consider if I'm never a success anywhere else, I want to be a success with my kids and my family because they're what really counts. The church counts, believe you me, but I'm going to tell you, what will a man gain if he win the whole world and lose his own family? It's just the value system. Yeah. Dad, you're responsible, but you've got to be a smart responsible. Dad, you have to, you're going to give an account, but you know what? God's grace is good for you too. God's give you grace. Pastor, what if I've blown it? Today's always the day of, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to make it right. Today's the day. Wow, guys. Oh, kind of 
came to, home to me. <laughs> Anything else? Okay. I think we ought to practice grace with each other. Paul wrote to Timothy about grace. I'm, I'm in a dilemma at my house because I believe God's put me in charge of my house. I believe I'm responsible. I don't take kindly to somebody coming and taking charge of my house. <laughs> I, I, not, not that I just want to be stubborn. I just feel the responsibility of it. But I also know that sometimes in my well intentions that I can, I can, I guess you could ask my wife and my two sons, I can, if, if there's a challenge, I, I bite it pretty quickly. Not because I want to be macho. It's just because I feel a tremendous sense of responsibility. And Dave, I'm going to the gate with you. I'm in my world. I'm trying to get something done. I'm so trying to get it. And when something hits my world, I will say, walk around. <laughs> How many of you know in this room, we probably ought to make a decision today to give everybody in our household and everybody in the household of faith some room for some grace? Can I just tell you, it's pressured enough in this world right now. I'm telling you, I, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we, we're in a press, press situation for the church. I want to tell you something. that This world is coming against the church in America. Amen. If you read some of these headlines and some of these prophet, prophetic people who are genuine prophets, they're telling us. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the freedoms of, of worship and Christianity in America, if the, if, the, if the, I'll just say the liberals have their way, I want to tell you something. They're against us and they're going to try to push us out. And they're going to make it cost us to worship our God. And that's not in some foreign country. That's in the home of the brave and the land of the free. Satan's trying to destroy what we have in this room. And if anybody ought to be on the same team, if anybody ought to show the grace, if anybody ought to come and say, son, I've made a mistake, if anybody ought to be gracious and right with one another, it ought to be the church. Amen. It ought to be the church. Tomorrow hurt me, I will just tell you this. I've already forgiven you because that's what God's done for me. 